You're listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast. Accelerate your mindset, collaboration and performance by developing limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams and organizations. Now, over to your host, Renee Jerusso. Hi, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. And if you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. As always, we love your feedback and any reviews. And if you're happy to send us topics, questions, thoughts to podcast at reneejerusso.com, that'd be appreciated. Today's show is all about one of my favourite topics, which is optimism. And it gives me great pleasure to jump in and introduce you to our guest. Victor Purton is the Chief Optimism Officer for the Centre of Optimism. His career has been as diverse from being a labourer to barrister to a parliamentarian to a trade commissioner to G20 presidency advisor to founding the Australian Leadership Project, all leading to his calling in optimism. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, Renee. And you put that so well. It, It took me to the age of 60 to find my true calling but this is my true calling, passion, and way forward for at least the next 30 years. Oh, and I, I, and I just love that. And I love that you just exude what you live and breathe. And I think that that attracted to me wanting to have you on the, on the show and to share your wealth of knowledge and your, your thoughts, your insights, and your beliefs around optimism. And it's so, such a small world, Renee, isn't it? You know, when we first communicated, you were thinking of topics uh, like forgiveness and, you know, our, f- our first exchange of emails. It was like a, a meeting of minds, almost a call from God. Oh, and it's, as you know, Victor, I'm writing the book, The Gift Mindset, and to get it down to the 12 gifts, because there's probably a thousand of them, was quite hard to distill. And there was one gift that just didn't sit with me. I don't know why. And I literally had someone call me and say, now, you know those gifts you're talking about? How can you not have optimism in there? That's when I think of you, that's all I think of. And I thought, wow, I've, I've actually bought that into the other gifts because it was missing as a standalone. Victor, I would love to hear a little bit about your story and how you have become you. That's a very good question. You, um, We could go back sort of 200 years to <laughs> my relatives and the choices they made in migrating across Europe and then um, my grandparents, you know, who were refugees in World War Two, and my parents coming here as refugees and stateless people in 1950. But that's, we'll probably accelerate because that could take a long time. <laughs> um, so I, I've always had the um, ability to follow my passions. So, um, you know, I became a young barrister Um, I then went into the state parliament and 18 years rushed by as we were creating the world's first multimedia agency and Bill Gates wrote about what we were doing in business at the speed of thought as Mm. literally the cutting edge. So I loved politics and then, but politics was changing and the media has changed as well. So um, I'm a very positive person. I was a very positive political figure, but I, found myself increasingly forced professionally to spend my time on attack, attack, attack. Mm. And it's not really me. I'm good at it, but it was not giving me fulfilment. So I left politics in 2006, had my own uh, regulatory affairs business. And then out of the blue, the then Labor government, um, you know, the other side of politics asked me to go to America as commissioner to the Americas. And The experience there was extraordinary. The stereotype of Australia and Australians that you find in Mm. North and South America is we're supermen and superwomen. Chairman of Caterpillar said to me, you Aussies remind me of the Americans of 100 years ago. Nothing is impossible. Mm. Uh, The Secretary General of the Rio Olympics said, I want Olympic Games like Sydney, a legacy like Melbourne 56. And you know, you were in a, in a bar on Route 66, you know, the truckie would hear the accents out, I love that Fosters of yours, and just on and on, this love affair. 
And then I had an even more extraordinary opportunity, which was the G20 presidency. And at that super elite level mm. of finance ministers, central bank governors, presidents, prime ministers, their advisors, exactly the same trusting stereotype of Australians. They trust us. And then I came back to Melbourne in 2015 and was astonished by the negativity. Yeah. Now, I had changed a little bit from what I'd done, but to listen to Australians talking about leadership, and not political leadership, I mean, in every country, you know, people have humour and barbs about mm. political leaders, but it was at every level, institutional, companies, you know, small business. Mm. And so rather than complain about the complainers, I set up the Australian Leadership Project and we interviewed two and a half thousand people. At the end of that, you boil down what distinguishes an Australian leader from a foreign leader. We demand of our leaders that they are egalitarian, that, that our prime minister travels in the front seat of the car. You know, we talk to the cleaner more politely than we speak to the chairman. Then self-effacing humour. You know, we laugh at ourselves, mm -hmm. but take our work seriously. And again, there are other countries that see self-effacing humour as a weakness, but here it's a real strength. Then the third one is no bullshit plain speaking. Now, if those are the three qualities of Australian leadership, egalitarianism, self-effacing humour and no bullshit plain speaking, there's millions of people like that. They're running building businesses. They're running kindergartens. And that's why Australia is number one, you know, on the United Nations Development Index, on the OECD Good Life Index, five of our cities in the top 15 on the Economist ranking of cities for livability. So I was still bewildered Mm. as to the negativity. Mm. In, in some senses, it's our earlier topic, the lack of gratitude, the lack of understanding of how good people have got it. And then I had the good fortune to be speaking at the Global Integrity Summit in 2017. And my speech was the case for optimism. Yeah. And after three days of misery, it lifted the room. Mm. And Helen Clark, who was then the head of the UNDP, the former New Zealand Prime Minister, said, Victor, turn that into a book. Um, I will endorse it. And she did endorse my book. And um, it then went on into speeches and the like. And then a curious incident occurred last August where someone asked me to do some work on innovation. And they said, well, what the heck could anyone else do? Why, why can't Victor Purton himself do this thing globally? And that night, I thought, you're bloody well right. The Centre for Optimism was created. We are now mm -hmm. 10 months old. We have 2,500 members in 52 countries. You know, we, we um, actually, you'll like this. Um, we appeared on The Weekly on the oh. ABC on uh, yeah. Wednesday, Charlie uh, Pickering. And uh, I think once you've made it onto satire, you know your message is getting through. And, and Pickering said, of course, you know, we'd expect them to be calling for a better normal because they've always been in the pocket of big hope. So um, we've been having a lot of fun. Congratulations on that as well. And I think that is a sign that your message is out there. And thanks for sharing that. I always love, and it is a big question, how did you become you? And I think, you know, in five years, if I asked you that, there'd be more to it because we are always becoming the next version of ourselves. It's not static. The brain plasticity and, and my friend, John Hager, who's on our board, you know, the author of The Power mm. of Paul and head of the yeah. Deloitte Center, he says it, it's curiosity. Yeah. It's the passion of the explorer that mm. keeps our brains developing. And you're, you're a great exemplar of that, Renee. Oh, thank you. And on curiosity, that's one of the gifts. And I've done that around provocation, yeah. observation, exploration. Um, and I, I think having a curious mindset is just probably another trait, I think, of many Australians. You can't always generalise, but I think we are always, because we get looked at as being a newer country, I think there's always that exploration sort of mentality, which is, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Fantastic. So I've become obviously a member, thank you, of the Centre of Optimism and I've had a look around um, the resources and the the things you're offering. And it's just an amazing, um, I would call it, a, it's a connective community. Tell us a little bit about the purpose of the Centre of um, Optimism. 
It's quite simple. We ask one question of people, what makes you optimistic? Mm. And uh, Megumi Miki, the author of Quietly... Um, I know Megumi. Well, Megumi, when I asked her that question, she said, Victor, just in asking me that question, you lifted me. Mm. So I've asked that question of presidents and prime ministers, um, of women digging ditches in back roads in India, and 99% of the time you lift people. Yeah. We've done it in prison with murderers and drug traffickers. Um, and so that's our most fundamental thing, and sharing those answers, yeah, um, okay. sometimes in context. So, for instance, you know, we helped with the Malaria Congress. We're asking people what makes you optimistic and then what makes you optimistic about the eradication of malaria. Mm -hmm. Or we're doing some work now in Bendigo around the Bendigo uh, inventors and innovation festival and again so sometimes it's in context as well and and we want to foster realistic and infectiously optimistic leadership but the yeah. main purpose is that very simple purpose to ask people what makes you optimistic in the hope that those people will ask other people and that's i love that and that creates it's almost a subliminal movement yeah, Doesn't we it? had. Uh, I did a presentation in New Zealand in their tax department, and one of their senior officials said, "Oh, Victor, this sounds like a cult." And I looked at her, thinking, "What's next?" She said, "If it is, sign me up." Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. I will lead. <laughs> so, Victor, one of the big words I think everyone should have a big word in life, and I encourage my clients and our listeners out there to have a, a word of the month, a word of the quarter, and a word of the year. And a word I've had for many years, and it's a title of one of my books, is limitless leadership. Limitless is my big word. And I think it says a lot about, you know, I think my, my beliefs and the people I surround myself with, and it is around learning, unlearning and evolving, and that the sky isn't the limit. It, it isn't. The infinite possibilities out there, I think, can help fuel our optimism and layer onto that. Would you agree? Indeed. And, mm. and I mean, there has to be an element of realism. So the, yeah. one of the things we, the most frequent question that we have to help people with is, I'm the optimist, but I get attacked for being a Pollyanna or yeah. uh, being too positive. So we guide people in the strategies around that. So you're absolutely right. You only live it yourself. And I think yeah. the quote is attributed to Ford, isn't it? That you know, the man who believes he can and the man who believes he can't, the woman who believes she can, the woman who believes she can't, they're both right. Yeah. And, and so that limitlessness, that ability, but part of getting there, of course, is leading a team and bringing you with you. And, and, and so they want to be infected with that optimism, mm. but they also want to know that you're grounded in reality. And, um, Mick Farrell, who runs ResMed, you know, which is now the fastest yeah. growing uh, medical device company, started in Australia, now a, a huge conglomerate. He says, look, you know, you can only run a business like this if you're infectiously optimistic. Yeah. But it has to be an optimism grounded in reality. Good yeah. strategy, good business plan, good oh shit plan. And, and Iger, yeah. who just finished off as the head of Disney, yes. um, in his 10 points of leadership, also said, number one is to be infectiously optimistic. Mm -hmm. um, Dominic Barton, who was the head of McKinsey, he said to me, every great leader I've ever met, infectiously optimistic. Um, Jeremy Johnson, who mm. was head of the Australian Chamber of Commerce last year, I actually did an interview with him on a totally different topic. But when I was going back um, through the old interviews, up it sparkled again. You know, the leader yeah. must be infectiously optimistic. I, I totally agree. Optimism, and I, I'd love to delve into that a bit because as much as it's, you know, a word we hear a lot, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer the definition of a lot of things are in the eye of the beholder. And I definitely believe optimism is energetic leaders are optimistic, yeah? What would you, if I asked you what is optimism and what is the difference between gratitude and this came through from one of our listeners as a question, the difference between gratitude and optimism. Sure. Let's take it in bits. So the best definition of optimism is one that's used by Harvard, Oxford, 
um, and particularly those who are studying the health effects of um, optimism. Um, and that is a belief that good things will happen mm. and that things will work out in the end. And sometimes make people make a play on that last bit and say, if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. So, so bad things will happen. So the difference between optimism and positive thinking or optimism and Pollyanna-ish is this, you know, oftentimes you get the positive thinker saying there's good in everything. Yeah. No, there are dark clouds that have yeah. no good in them. You know, and, and this pandemic killing, you know, hundreds of mm. thousands of people and the like, you know, it's a bad thing. Now, there will be individuals who will grow through it. Yeah. But there's no doubt if your grandmother dies or your grandfather dies or your parent dies or a friend <laughs> of mine was caught up in Spain and caught corona and had to have operations and stuff. So, so the distinction between optimism and positive thinking is this notion that things will work out in the end, that good things will happen, but you don't have to believe that every dark cloud has, has a silver lining. Yeah. Now, gratitude is a product of optimism or, and an underpinning of optimism. Mm. So gratitude is this notion of... Um, in fact, gratitude and contentment are very closely related. Mm. So that belief that what I've got um, is good, that I'm living a good life, um, even if you're in struggle, you know, to, to be grateful. So I often look, when I talked about my ancestors, my great, my grandfather was executed by the KGB. My wow. grandmother was sent to the Gulag. You know, when I think of how they struggled and survived, then I think everything that happens to me, <laughs> you know, is relatively mild. You know, the yeah. stresses and struggles I have are pretty small yeah. compared to what my parents went through and the generation before them uh, went through. Um, so, yeah, so contentment and gratitude are great underpinnings. And, you know, when we have the habits of the optimist, mm. you know, we really love Martin Seligman's, you know, three blessings. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, you write down or you share with the family the mm. three best things in the day. And particularly if you've written it down, first thing in the morning, whether you're sitting on the toilet or having a cup of coffee, yeah. Um, that first thing you read ahead of the news or anything else, yeah. are those blessings you had yesterday. And so strong underpinning of optimism. Mm. Um, and, you know, what, again, what, what's really important, um, you know, people often confuse resilience and optimism. Yeah. But, but you can't be resilient unless you're optimistic. That's right. If you think the future is going to be worse, if you're a pessimist, what is there to underpin your resilience? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's grit maybe, mm. but, but optimism. So gratitude is a, a very powerful underpinning of optimism. I think I yeah. misexpressed myself a little bit earlier, um, but optimism is clearly the strongest underpinning of resilience. Resilience. Total, everything you're saying is just resonating with me and I've always thought gratitude and optimism are the few, can fuel and help us layer and anchor resilience. And I loved what you said, you do need to be a realist. And I'll be the first to say, and those of you listening that know me, I'm, you know, and there's been a lot of profiling tools and psychometric testing over the years. And I always come, I think I'm globally the highest on one of them in optimism. And it can sometimes be an overdrive for those around me that aren't as optimistic as me. So it's about adapting, you know, not changing who I am. I have a little thing around 20% down around people that might not be as optimistic as me. Um, because the trick is, Renee, um, some of the billionaires that I've interviewed say I won't have a pessimist at my board table. They said we can hire them by the hour from accounting firms and law firms. <laughs> so surrounding yourself with optimism, we all have to spend time with pessimists. You know, it might yeah. be a family member or... The like. Well, no, I'm not sure that you do. You need people. What's interesting in, in the field of commercial law, for instance, is that they tend to be quite negative. Mm. And there are very serious problems in a lot of law firms and their well-being practices mm. because you do have a high rate of depression and, and yeah. mental illness that is appearing mm. um, under pressure. But for those people like you who are effervescently optimistic, you don't need to be dragged down. You've got to be empathetic, oh, 
Yeah. Maybe change your language with people who are pessimists. Yes. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I remember um, a meditation guru once said to me, Victor, you can meditate as much as you like, but if you're sitting in a toxic swamp, mm. you will still absorb some of the poison. Yeah. So I think limiting the consumption of negativity yeah. um, is very important. And my friend um, Lynn Wood recently wrote a column on going on a news diet. Mm. So mm. If, if you watch the news, you would no. think nothing good occurs in Australia or America mm. or most of the world. And yet you and I know that 95% of what happens is either normal or good. Yeah, that's that that's right. And that resonates with me what you just said. With um I do a lot of work, Victor, on motivational intelligence. And we've got a tool that actually looks at not what you're good at, but what you're good at that you enjoy. Big difference. And it brings up the things that really motivate you at a deep level and the language attached. And one of the key sets, they're in pairs, one of the key sets of motivators, and I've worked with this tool for 14 years now, so I've done done a lot of them, um, is are you a goal-oriented person? That's me off the charts. Love to attain, achieve, make a difference, future thinker. Or are you more motivated by solving the problems, looking at the potential pitfalls? No right or wrong. I can do both. They're not competencies. They're energies. But I know, and I run a lot of team, team high-level high team workshops on this, where we profile people. The people a bit like me can be seen as you know, over-optimistic, gung-ho. The people that are the problem solvers, usually analytical. Not always, but I've done a lot of different industries usually accountants r&d snf that sort of industry um, can be seen as negative nitpickers so what happens and i see it across a lot of the organizations that are working is there becomes this conflict that they call a personality breakdown when really it's not appreciating and complimenting each other's motivators so my question for you out of all of that is do you believe that people that are more future focused, you know, on that road to achieve goals for them and other their clients, mine's all about my clients I'm in service to, are they more likely to be optimistic than those that are more in the moment good at their jobs because they look at the potential pitfalls and problems and tend to refer to the past when they make decisions? My most fundamental um, answer to that would be, do you use the word but or and mm. when responding to someone else? And in Australia, um, critical thinking has been elevated to this <laughs> almost priestly thinking. You know, we, we've replaced theology with critical thinking. Mm. So at every board table, at every exec table, there's someone leaning forward um, to say but and you know, can you get the people around the table to say, and, yeah, you know, and it reduces some of that tension. Um, it reduces some of that pain. We did three sessions in prison with prisoners mm. and teaching them instead of saying F you or whatever they were saying to the guards, instead to say, and what's the best thing happening in your day then? And, um, <laughs> It was so powerful, we were asked to come back and do training of senior management. Wow. So, again, it's this quite simple change of language. Reframes. Where, you know, if you can train the more negative analytical person mm. to use the word and rather than but mm. um, and to look to be fostering the development of, of better ideas, um, then I think you'll be getting there. It's very complex, this yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. we, um, there's some really good stuff out of the University of Michigan, mm. um, which shows that if you're married to an optimist or you have a partner who's an optimist, um, that you get many of the same health benefits yeah. as, as being optimistic yourself. Yeah. So I often say in humour to people, well, if you're married to an optimist, you're fine. If you're single, um, it's the first question. Um, <laughs> And if you're um, married to a pessimist, there are two answers. One, and I hope that you um, choose the one that says, let's try and make them a little bit more optimistic. Oh. So, you know, a lot of the stuff when we do the habits of the optimist, you know, 
sometimes we forget to smile like an optimist, yeah. to laugh like an optimist, to ask questions mm -hmm. like an optimist, to think like an optimist. And, you know, they're always going to be, I always think, you know, there's 30% of the population who are either innately pessimistic or earn their money by being pessimistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and I aren't going to win them over. No. Right. And and so we've just got to train the people we're working with, the optimists, mm -hmm. to get the best out of those people. As I said, you know, this sort of these billionaires who do hire the pessimist. Yeah. Yeah. To write the last five pages of the contract. But mm -hmm. it's interesting to look at the work, for instance, of the International Association of Contract and Commercial Management, you know, who now think that, you know, new procurement, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm machine learning, smart contracts are actually going to wipe out a lot of those pessimistic jobs, um, you know, because yeah. contracts will be written by machines. So yeah. they're training their membership mm. to actually lift themselves to be more optimistic. So the people, I think, who really understand mm. the analytical nature of the procurement integrity risk job are actually trying to work with them to make them more optimistic yeah, uh, rather than trying to make the optimist more pessimistic. I absolutely love that. And I think, um, isn't it interesting, that's, that's technology coming in in a good way that's going to change some of that and lift, lift the optimism. You know, something my mum has said to me since I was, mum's always been in the corporate world since I was a child is what's the best thing that's happened today? That's, that's what I grew up around. And if I couldn't find something, I could always find something. You made well, me well, think... You know, small world. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, if I'm at a checkout or the like and, you know, I'm in conversation, I often give the person who's serving me the challenge. Because in Australia, if you ask someone, how are you? Mm. 60 to 65% of the answers are not bad not or bad. not too bad. Yeah. So it's a wasted question, wasted yeah. answer. Yeah. So I often say to the checkout boy or the checkout girl, or lady or man, hmm. just try for the rest of the day. Hello, um, what's the best thing happening for you? And I guarantee you will lift the quality of conversation. And, and, and the mood. One I always, always use, Victor, is what have you done for you today? And I've yeah. been using that a lot the last few months. Or are you eating well? You know, just something you around... You sound like my mother. <laughs> are you eating well? <laughs> I'm half Italian. I've got to talk about the food. Come on. Absolutely. One of, one that, of that is one of the, the great things of Italian culture, uh, cooking together yeah. and eating together. It is. And I loved um, the, what you were talking about, the end and the but, and we use that reframe a bit because I think if you get the but, but, then you get the however, I call that but's cousin, <laughs> and then you end up with what they're actually getting at at the end of that. So I think that's, um, that's really, really powerful. In leadership in Australia, and as you know, we do a, a lot with senior, um, mid to senior leaders, how important is optimism, do you think, in a leadership position? And leaders of self, because I believe everybody's a leader, self-leadership. Well, this is where Australia has lost its way somewhat over the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, the media is so negative that corporate messages, even when they're positive, are expressed in the negative. Mm. Um, at, at fear of ridicule and, and, you know, journalism people and the like. Positivity is being beaten out of them. So Australia and New Zealand 20 years ago were amongst the most optimistic of countries. Today they've dropped down to a much lower average. And one of the things that still bewilders me is that people are not interviewed or tested for their qualities of optimism. No. So no. people are interviewed about their innovation but the science says you can't be innovative unless you're optimistic. For instance, as I said, McKinsey, Dominic Barton said it's one of the critical features. Corn Ferry, in its research papers, says that infectiously optimistic leader is one of the three core yeah. competencies, yeah. and yet people are not interviewed for it. Mm. And, and if you look at the work, for instance, of you know, boards today, yeah. are typically characterised by butt people. Yeah. You know, people whose great ambition is to be on the risk and audit committee mm. and often forgetting that risk has two ends to the spectrum, positive risk and negative risk. Mm -hmm. mm. And so 
in, in Australia, that's why we set up the Centre for Optimism. You know, we were so bewildered by the negativity around Australian leadership yeah. that we thought we've got to do stuff. And I was really chuffed on Friday. I got an email from a very large corporation. Um, I did a workshop with their senior execs last year. They said, look, can you come back and do another dose? Mm, hoping, but we need a dose of optimism. Okay. Yeah. Um, we did some fantastic sessions recently with the staff of Dementia Australia. Mm. Um, so, no, it's really, Rene, in your book and in your coaching and in your leadership, we really have to provide Australian business leaders and Australian governmental leaders mm. with the tools to be more infectiously optimistic themselves yeah. and to foster that in their teams because I think that is the weakness around Australian leadership. Mm. So my eureka moment in 2017 was that there's not much wrong with the leadership. The problem is the fog of pessimism. Yeah. And so that's why I've got these beacons behind me. Yes. I say to people, after you've been with us, I'd like you to be a beacon of optimism mm -hmm. in the fog of pessimism. Yeah, I love, I absolutely love that. My, one of my, um, Victor, one of my metaphors I use for motivation and optimism is a lighthouse. Yeah. So the light that, that the lighthouse emits, you can't do anything with that. What you need to do is get into the lighthouse and see what is making that shine, what is making that bright. And for me, that's the, the traits, the motivation and the habits of optimism. So my friend Sean Callahan runs anecdote.com and one of his techniques is, is extracting stories from the workforce mm, to take yeah. back to the leadership. And, you know, whether I think about Iger from Disney or Sean Callahan or John Hagel or my own work, it's clear to me that what people want are stories yeah. of hope and optimism. So I did one large corporate where the CEO spoke first and I spoke last at the end of the day. And the criticism from the staff was, no, it should have been the other way around. Victor okay. should have set the mindset for our CEO mm. to conclude with the mission. Mm. And, and so there's too much of this confusion in the rah-rah of the hero leader. Yeah. You, know, you should be optimistic because I'm optimistic. Mm. Whereas, I, I, and I'll give you another little story. I was sitting in a cafe on Circular Quay. It was early morning and I like to go for a walk when mm. I'm in Sydney through Circular Quay. It's so beautiful in the morning. That is gorgeous. And there was a, a guy sitting next to me on the table and the poor devil, anyone who sits on their own on the table next to me ends up in a conversation. <laughs> and he was a Singaporean businessman and he said to me, look, every Monday morning I give my sales team the rah-rah speech. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And by Monday afternoon it's worn off. And I said to him, have you ever asked them what makes them optimistic? Yes. And he said, wow, he now does that. You, know, you don't do it every week because no. optimism shouldn't change that often. Mm. But once a month they lead the sales yeah. meeting with what makes you optimistic. Because yeah. the question that drives me nuts in Australia, and, and it's asked too often, is what's keeping you awake at oh, night? Oh, gosh. So Around the board say. table. We're at a strategy meeting. Well, what's what's your keeping you awake? <laughs> and I say, nothing keeps me awake. I go to bed, I go to sleep, I wake up early, bustling yeah. with energy. But why are you asking me what keeps me awake at night? And that's just assuming, that's, that's people putting their reference on you, right? Yeah. Is, which isn't which isn't right. Oh, so this, my mind's going a million miles an hour here because there's just so much gold, um, Victor, in what you're saying. We could talk all day. <laughs> well, we can. We've got till, I've got till 3.30. <laughs> so I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, I've got a few little questions and you've actually answered quite a few of them. Why do you think optimism can be so hard for some people? I know we're all wired differently and all those sorts of things. And our dispositions can be different, but what what do you think is the key challenge, like in and out of work? Because I believe you should live your you should lead with your whole self in and out of work. You shouldn't be any different. So num number one challenge to everyone, a hundred percent of people, is the news. 
So since the 1970s, the news has changed from 50-50 good, bad, to now nearly 95% bad. And and they draw, you know, one person gets shot in a Walmart in Mississippi. You know, it's it's on the bottom of the screen. You know, it's breaking news. Yeah, you never get, you know, a new drug's been released or... You know, some interesting person's had a baby or something. Mm. It's this constant stream of negativity. So for every person in the world, number one is the negativity of the news. In Australia now, number two is negativity of the school curriculum. Yeah. So, you know, my daughter is is currently studying dystopia. Now, you'd think if she was studying dystopia in English, there would be another section on utopia. Yeah. But no, the reading list is all dystopia and they get a little sort of one third of a class on utopia. So, so you know, whether it's the English curriculum um, or, or the history curriculum, um, we've got this very, very negative curriculum. It's been, and I often say to people, it's not left or right, it's not socialist versus liberal or capitalist versus communist Mm. the battle is now between the optimists and the pessimists so but the pessimists have taken over the school curriculum yeah um and then third um is is the depression industry in australia so australia now has the second highest rate of prescription for antidepressant medication in the world now it makes no sense we've got good food we've got a fantastic climate. Most um, countries. Violence is low. Yeah. Right? And yet, people are so anxious and depressed and doctors, instead of counselling them, mm. giving them some mental tools for cheering them up, are medicating them. So thirdly, we've got a, a, a really strong um, depression and anxiety industry. Yeah. You know, that makes money out of it. So yeah. there's three reasons. The fourth reason is that, you know, some part of pessimism and optimism is genetic. Yeah, yeah. Some part of it is parental influence, although I often get people telling me, oh, my mum and dad were really pessimistic, but I'm a, an optimist. So lots of people lift themselves out of yeah. that. Yeah. So, so the environment is probably the most difficult thing. Mm. And then the second element is people just don't talk about optimism. Yeah. So... Um, they've never had it defined. I interviewed one of the Australian ambassadors, who is a woman in her 50s, right? She said to me, you are the first person mm. ever to ask me what makes me optimistic. Yeah. So how can, you know, this is the conversations around, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? Or, yeah. my God, what can we add to the risk register this week? Yeah. And yet people don't, what you talked about earlier, limitless opportunity what mm-hmm. can we do and and gonski you know the chairman of anz um he has said australian corporate boards have lost their way mm. by spending too much time on negative risk and not enough time on opportunity and yeah. you know, gonski's chairman of three or four boards yeah i think oh, he'd have heard it no and you're spot on it's almost become a habit of thinking to look at the negative um, and I think, you know, all those challenges I can relate to as in I've seen them and they're, they're real. And I think it's all almost it, the more a culture becomes weighed down with this pessimistic sort of attitude and way of life, the harder it will be to bring optimism in because people, are, it becomes ingrained. And you know, I've had people say to me, I don't want to look like happy, happy, joy, joy. But I think... You know, the news is a big one. Victor, I've never, much to my mum's disgust, I've never watched the news. I know enough about what I need to know. I would rather walk my my neighbour's dog, she's ill, in that hour than look at something that's happened that's bad that I can't do anything about. Um, I've always been like that. Um, and I think in the current times and what we're going through, you know, I, I, I just I, I find out what I need to know yeah. and that's it. Oh, the news is unwatchable. It's like a scoreboard of death, you know, when there was no sport being played. But they were reporting deaths in Estonia. You know, one guy died in Estonia and that was a, that was a minute of the news. News, that's right. You know, and yet in that minute that they could have talked about scientific discovery, business mm. success, 
children doing splendid things at school, oh. but instead this scoreboard of death constantly. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think, yeah, it's just not, it's just not congruent with who we all really are at a deep level, you know? Um, well, Krista Tippett, the American commentator, um, put it very well. She said, the modern American journalist is really good at exposing wrongdoing, mm. finding the wrongdoer, but hopeless at balancing it against the good in society. Wow, yeah, spot on. You know, Victor, there's been a lot of research done on different, you know, theories on optimism, you know, without getting all technical, but, you know, the explanatory theory disposition you know is it is it a trait you have or is it the way you react or respond to things that happen to you what what are your beliefs around that well funnily enough yesterday i published um a report of a report produced by the medical university of vienna in austria and they've just done a study of austrians um against um sleep problems insomnia yeah and their conclusion was that optimists sleep better yeah. for the reasons we've talked about earlier. And more sleep, of course, improves your optimism. Yeah. And they said that as a, a policy matter, whatever, what we need to do is to help people increase their dispositional optimism. Yeah. And the interesting is one of the, the habits of the optimist that we publish uh, is called your best self. Yeah. And funnily enough, I was talking to a friend who's just this morning, um, she's left a bad marriage, she's moved to another city, she's a bit lost. I said, try your best self. Sit down with a piece of paper for 15 minutes and imagine yourself in six months, what is the best person you can be? Mm. And so that tool which the American military uses and the like, my best self, um, is one of those great mm-hmm. tools. Um, you know, I mean, we could talk yeah. at length. We we actually have, um, I've published 16 Habits of the Optimist. But yeah. uh, oh, the key oh. one, of course, is smile like an optimist. Yeah. The yeah. other key one is laugh like an optimist. Once you've started doing that, the rest of it falls into play. Oh, I love that. That was my next question was for our listeners out there and, you know, I know um, Victor working across all the clients I'm working with at the moment in the virtual space, there are a lot of people struggling, you know, I'm going to be upfront who, you know, really need, need some, you know, habits. I'm, I'm big on the whole reviewing and renewing habits ongoing in all areas of our lives. But I guess what would be five things that they could walk away that are easy to implement that could really ramp up their energy and optimism? Okay. Number one is to remember to smile. Yeah. Okay. We, too often we forget it. And whether you're walking down the street, instead of avoiding eye contact with the person walking towards you, just good morning, good afternoon. You don't have to go into a big conversation. Generally, the person will smile back at you your smile at them, mm. it lifts both parties. That, that's number one. Number two was the, the thing that the advice from your mother. <laughs> Instead of asking, how are you? If everyone could just try for one day, if it works for one day, try it for one week. Instead of saying, hello, how are you? Say, hello, what's the best thing happening for you? And of yeah. course, people will look at you strangely. Now, the reverse of that, so this will be number three, is if someone says, how are you, Rene? Instead of saying, good, fantastic, terrific, which in Australian language makes sounds very American, you, you pause and you say, oh, thanks for asking. Oh, I had a really interesting conversation today or, God, I had a good breakfast with the kids today or something that will get them to look at you and ask that next question. Mm. So smile number one. Number two is better greetings. I asking be delivering yeah the the third one i would give is what we talked about earlier and you talked about um blessings and gratitude yeah but once a day either write it down or if you've got kids do it around the dinner table what are the three best things in the day mm. and it doesn't need to be complex it doesn't need to be i solved uh, the problem of the generalized theorem of relativity mm. it can be my children made me a cup of tea or 
whatever. Yeah. So, so gratitude is, is, is really central. Fourthly, I think in this time of COVID, um, I think that doing that exercise, my best self. Yeah. And we've just done an exercise called a better future or a better, uh, a better normal, which so resonate, as I said, we're on Charlie Parkinson's The Weekly, um, News Limited repeated our study. Um, think, do this, just write down 15 minutes, what am I going to look like, yeah. sound like be doing when I come out of COVID? Because yeah. you will be a better person. Yeah. And then the last one I think is really important for those of us in Melbourne who are in lockdown, um, it's laugh like an optimist. Watch some comedy, find some old jokes, but it's got to be that funny humour rather than disparaging yeah. humour. So if you listen to teenagers today, they sound very American with this sort of mm -hmm. disparaging humour they learn from MasterChef or The Voice where some yeah. perfectly decent person has tried to cook with inadequate ingredients in inadequate time mm. and gets ridiculed. Yeah. So genuinely laugh and, you know, I think that the laughter coaches say even if you don't have something to laugh about, just practice. Yeah. Just start laughing. Laughing. <laughs> oh, don't see, you're getting me. And laugh at yourself. I think exactly. that's important too. I think, you know, and as you said, it is one, of, and it has been for a while, one of the key traits of a leader in Australia is the whole humour side. And I think that's something that can get a bit lost, especially, you know, in times of uncertainty. Well, and, and risk-free PR. Mm. So they write this speech and, you know, there's no joke about you in it. Yeah, yeah. I can't do that, boss, or they, or they don't even think about it. Yeah. But, you know, you think back to, to the old politicians and, you mm. know, the, the old leaders like Avi Pabo and the yeah. like. Um, who would actually tell a joke, you know, they're a bit fat or whatever, and they'd be talking about health for the workers, and they'd say, oh, well, <laughs> not exactly me. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. And with um, gratitude, I've, I do a lot of work on gratitude, and, you know, for those listening out there, you can write, you've got to find a way that works for you to capture gratitude. Is it a journal? Is it, I've got a friend that's, um, her product's the Gratitude Glass Jars that, you know, gone across the US. She's a good friend of mine. And, you know, having a reminder of what you're grateful for so that you're not just reading it, but you're using all your senses to process it and then it anchors it and, you know, reminds you of it and you can access it when you're going through adversity or you need to layer onto your resilience. But the other one that, that is very useful is, is just sending a thank you note. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, 15 minutes at the end of the day, just send an SMS or an email yeah. to someone who's done something for you today mm. or last week or 25 years ago. Yeah. Just one little thank you note. It, it, you know, obviously the nicest one is the handwritten one. Yes. But, but, but sending an SMS, uh, making the mission once a day, yeah. and usually at the end of the day to send a thank you note yeah. is yeah. very powerful too. I think I think that's that's the, and do you think there's hope for those people out there and you'll know if this is you if you're sort of frowning upon what we're talking about and you're feeling very pessimistic um, do you think you know there's hope to convert you know and hope to bring optimism in for anybody yeah, and, and, I mean I'm at the end of a phone and you're at the end of a phone for, for those people so um, for everyone who's listening be you optimistic or pessimistic or undecided, mm. my question to you is have a think about what makes you optimistic. Mm. Is it faith? Is it family? Is it faith in God? Faith in um, humanity? Is mm. it life experience? Because for most, uh, do you know that the science, Renee, says optimism doesn't peak till you're in your 60s? I've heard that. Because people talk about the optimism of the young, but it's in fact the positivity yeah. of the young because yeah. the older person's been through the shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, they know that the sun rises the next day even when something goes wrong. Yeah. And it's that, remember what optimism is. It's a belief that good things will happen mm. and that things will work out in the end. Yeah. It's not a belief that everything's working all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so true. And I think... 
a word I've come up with, Victor, I think I mentioned to you, which I came up with by accident. I just blurted it out, was posimistic. And that's... I love it. I love it. I think you should trademark that. <laughs> I had someone ask me that the other day. That's funny. So, you know, posimistic. So pos it's possibility and optimism. So having optimism for what's possible. And I think, you know, you can say you're optimistic, but I think it layers like resilience. I, I, 25, 23 years old, I lost my dad and he was younger than I am now. And um, I thought I handled that well at that age, but I look at all the things that have happened since then and I think it it does layer and it consolidates. And like I said earlier, we, we're always becoming the next version of our best self. And that's where I think the positivistic piece comes in around choose what you want to be optimistic about. And if, if you're struggling, choose something that's quite easy. So you ramp that energy up and I believe energy is contagious. My nickname out of work is popcorn <laughs> and it's, it, it is, it's contagious and, you know, not saying that you have to exude a lot of energy all the time, but if you can change your mindset, I'm a big believer in the whole mind shift and, and the gift mindset is all about what you talked about, embrace the challenges and the successes and learn from them and share them. And this is what we're creating, Victor. I want companies to be sharing these gifts and the lessons because they could be someone else's survival guide. And I think it's selfish for us not to. Yeah. And in fact, one of the, about two or three of the corporates I've done have asked me to do family and friend events. Yeah. So in particular, you know, those who've got teenage children, mm. you know, where the English, the history curriculum is so negative. Yeah. Um, you know, and kids, you know, watch Greta Thornburg and they think the world's about to, to drown under climate change. Mm. But instead of bringing them to action on climate, yeah. you know, they march in the street. Yeah. And, and as one young boy said to me, you know, as he said to his colleagues, you'll take a plastic bottle of water, you'll buy McDonald's, <laughs> why couldn't you have spent that 10 bucks buying and planting a tree? Yeah. But, but instead we've got, some friend of mine who's in Seattle just said, you know, the streets of Seattle now are just filled with angry people yeah. who think their contribution in the world is expressing anger. Well, what about, you know, the best monument to George Floyd would be a peaceful heart yeah. bringing peace and you know, to someone of, of a different race. Yeah, spot on. It's want the change, be the change. But actually think about what you're doing as part of that. And it goes into even, Victor, we were both lucky enough to, and thank you to you and the Centre of Optimism, to, to talk to, to Dr Fred Luskin last week, you know. And I think forgiveness, I have a bit of a saying from poison to peace. I, I really believe, you know, if you're living in resentment and anger, I'm chipping, you're not very optimistic. So... There's, that's probably another habit of optimism is to let go of what is holding you back from being your true Forgive self. and forget. Yeah, spot Forgive on. Forgive and forget like an optimist. Yeah, love it. I love it. Wow. So I've got a few little questions for you before we finish up. This has been amazing. I wanted to ask you, who is somebody, Victor, that you admire and why? Gandhi, Gandhi. I, I've been to his ashram several times. In fact, yeah. I was in India uh, last year and um, made a point of going to Ahmedabad and just spending a day um, mm -hmm. sitting in the ashram and asking people questions. Um, so for me, he, he's the one. You know, and I, yeah. it was funny enough, I had some young people the other day come to me and ask me how they can change the mindset of their company towards uh, their colleagues towards the circular economy. And I said, well, what did Gandhi say about it? Of course, they looked at me as if Gandhi was a type of curry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> reminded them that he was a person who led yeah. the independence of India. And I oh. said, Gandhi said the only person you can change is yourself. Yeah. You know, what are the questions you're asking your colleagues rather than mm -hmm. how can you change them? So for me, Gandhi would be front and centre. Yeah. Um, in terms of... Um, writers there's a, an english writer from early last century called uh, leonard hobhouse who wrote a, a book called liberalism and 
I'm a liberal um, with a with all of the connotations. And he said he defined liberalism as the liberation of living spiritual energy. Ooh. And I just love that. Ooh, living um, spiritual energy. I love that. Living spirit. And funny enough, Dick Hamer, who was a premier in the state of Victoria back in the 70s, yes. in his first interview um, with the newspapers, actually talked about the spirituality of liberalism. Mm. So I think he'd read that book too. Um, there's lots, you know, I could probably sort of rattle off lots and lots of other people, but Gandhi would certainly be, be top of the box yeah. for me. And still to this day, one of the most um, re-quoted empathetic leaders of our time. You know, some of his stuff's amazing. And his dedication and his commitment. And didn't he spend, he spent like eight years in an ashram just getting to understand it. Like it's, it's amazing. Spinning yarn. He's, yes. He's, he, yeah, he, yeah. There's, if you've ever seen the film The Last Viceroy or Viceroy... Oh. Um, there's this lovely scene where he brings as a present mm. a piece of cloth that he has spun. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's right, because he donned all his, his, his corporate attire and he, that's right. So with any, Victor, with any business and role and life, we come up with challenges and I call these gifts. They can be people, they can be situations. I call them the gifts that keep giving, especially the people. Um, I'd love to ask you just, just really top line, what's maybe a challenge that you've been through very top line and what lessons in relation to optimism did you glean from that experience? Um, I experienced, um, leadership from a person who was a shocking bully <laughs> and, um, but he had immense power yeah. and, I, yeah, no, the lesson came back to me 30 years later. One of my, may I use the word shits in this interview? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my friends who was in the same room with me and this bully said that the thing that gave them the shits was that every time you came in in the morning, you smiled at them mm -hmm. and you said, how, what's happening? You talked about their children and mm. as if they were your best friends. So at the time, it was very tough. Um, but I think, you know, whether it's my genetics or my conditioning mm. um, or something innate, um, I managed to keep smiling. And my nickname amongst the sort of more manual staff, the cleaners and the like, my nickname <laughs> was Smiley. Smiley, I love it. <laughs> and um, so I think that the lesson is even when someone's insulting you, mm. look them straight in the eye yeah. and never look as if you're in pain. No, that's tough. Not everyone can do that. No, and it can take um, time. For me, when I look back at what made me what I am, it was being resilient in the face of very negative force. Yeah, love that, love that. And that's projecting that energy out, which some people will find intimidating, but only yeah. for so long, I think, because it's human nature to want to be connected. It's an innate human need. Well, and, and you know, should I have left that environment or fought on mm. is a question that we'll never answer because I've fought on. Yeah. But, but people, I mean, as the Dalai Lama says in the like, if you're caught up with a bullying negative boss or leader, should you stay there or should you go? Mm. Um, unless you can change them, my view would be generally find yourself an environment that's more congenial. That, that's right. That's right. Or if you do stay and get through and they leave or you learn from it, it can sometimes stop that pattern as well. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, I think it's con very contextual, that one. I had a similar thing um, happen many years ago and still call him the gift that keeps giving. And I thanked him when I bumped into him at the airport many years ago. Um, all amicable, but really I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because I got into self-development to deal with this less than great leader. And it was five, six years later that I ended up leaving, but that is what sparked my curiosity, you know. Being a limitless leader takes a lot of energy, whether it's natural or not. And I always ask my guests, 
What do you do, Victor, to keep yourself re-energised? So every morning I, um, I generally do meditation first up. Um, the purists might say this is not right, but I lie in bed and do my first my meditation. Yeah. And then I get up, have a coffee, and I read optimism clippings for the first hour. And um, how can you not be positive when you read about the reasons why people are optimistic? Yeah. And then um, I try and do as much yoga as I can. Um, as you can see by my figure... Um, I still haven't got that balance between calorie consumption and the amount of yoga I do. But uh, with COVID threatening um, ever more in Melbourne, I'm upping the amount of yoga and reducing the amount of food. Um, and then surrounding yourself with optimists. Yeah. You know, I've got that real advantage. And Bill George, you know, the author of um, True North, when yeah. I asked him what makes him optimistic, he mm-hmm. said, being surrounded by positive, optimistic yeah. people, what a blessing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've built the Centre for Optimism. I have 2,500 members to, mm. to draw on to start yeah. with and then thousands of other people who are following on social media. We've now built a community of well over 100,000. So wow. um, when That's we get crazy. to the billion, uh, but within the 30 years, we'll have done a great job. I, I just love it, and and it's it's le- you're living your legacy. I'm a I'm a person that says a lot of people think legacies after you've gone live your legacy now, and that's what you're doing. So and it's needed, and and the following and the movement you're creating so quickly is a sign of that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Well, in fact, I, I often joke when people say, "Is he a great leader?" I say, "Greatness is normally something that's bestowed on a political leader after they're dead." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was the best. <laughs> she was best. So some quick trivia before we finish up. Favourite word, gee. Let Optimism, me... optimistic, optimist, <laughs> positive, positive development. Love it, love it. What is your favourite meal? I'm a bit of a foodie, so I always ask this question. So my, my answer to that is food made with love. Yeah. So food made with love is number one. So it can be anything. After that, if I get to make choices, um, it's my sister's schnitzel. uh, It's my mother's meatloaf. It's my stroganoff. uh, My son likes my pea soup. My daughter likes my Mexican. Um, So it's food made with love um, that that is the favourite. Food is such a connector. I love it. And what's your favourite sound or noise? I have a, a bubbling brook um, or a bird sound in the desert. So my kids and I, the week before last, drove up the Darling River to Burke. It's called the Darling River Run and you're in the desert and you get out of the car and there's often complete silence. And, and in that silence, it's beautiful to hear the sound of a bird. Mm. That's optimism. <laughs> And what profession, other than what you're doing now, would you attempt? Yes, I've got so many professions already. I can't think of another profession. Um, So that one I can't answer. I'm so enjoying what I'm doing. And it requires, I've I've got to be a social media person. I've got to be a researcher. I've got to be a speaker. I think I capture most of the qualities of professions. Yeah. And at my age, I don't feel like going back to university to do a whole new profession. No. And why would you? That answer in itself is, you know, that that answers it for you. So, Victor, thank you so much. There's just so much gold there. And I know those of you listening out there would have gleaned so many key nuggets and as I always say, take, take, take what you want, leave what you don't. And if you're in a place where you're not feeling op- optimistic, just one or two of those habits, just start with those. They all relate to each other. If you're smiling, you're more likely to laugh. If you're laughing, you're going to probably feel, feel more energetic. If you're energetic, you're going to attract other like-minded people or like-energy people. So... Thank you, Victor. Any last words before we end the show? Yeah. Everyone who's listening, go and ask your spouse, partner, kids, what makes you optimistic? 
the chances are you haven't asked them, the chances are they've never been asked. And um, I, I did an exec round table, Rene, and I gave that homework. And one of the people went home, sent me the answer from his wife, which was inspiring. His daughter, 14, was inspiring. His 16-year-old son told him where to go. Huh. Uh, we said we might leave the 16-year-old boy till he's a bit older. Oh, yeah, yeah, just wait. Just give him a bit of time. So thanks, thanks again, Victor. And how do people find you? Um, so the best place is centreforoptimism.com. So just as it sounds in English, C-E-N-T-R, C-E-N-T-R-E, F-O-R, Optimism, Centre for Optimism. If they Google it, they'll find it, centreforoptimism.com. And there's lots and lots of materials and there's a free subscription if people want. And we just love to have them involved and sharing what makes them optimistic. Thank you. And we'll have all of Victor's um, social media handles in our show notes so you can go to those as well. Thanks again, Victor. And thanks for those of you listening in and enjoy doing or going or being wherever you are right now. Thank you. You've been listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast, leading from the inside out to develop limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams, and organizations. To find out how you can accelerate your mindset, your communication, collaboration, and connection to become a limitless leader, sign up for our Limitless Leaders Podcast series at www.renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series. That's renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series. 